Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Abundant Solutions Hour. Our goal is to help others be more, do more, and have more. I'm your host, Gregory Turner. And I'm your co-host, Brian J. Henderson. I tell you what, Brian, if you, like I said before, if you're listening, I hope you got your hard hat ready because, uh, oh, this is going to be something tonight, Brian. I'm just, I'm excited. I'm excited about our guest. Oh, man, we have a powerful, powerful brother on tonight. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, and it's touching right at the heart of the things that you and I do on a daily basis. That's why that that's why I'm really, really excited. Mm-hmm. You know, Greg, it, it's funny because, you know, and you and I talked earlier about this, you know, it, what we're going to talk about tonight cuts it right at the heart of, you know, what we do and what we see happen all the time and way too often in our community. And that's, you know, it, and it, it has a lot to do with communication and the way that we communicate with our youth. You know, and you and I, we've been doing, you know, what we do with youth for quite a while now. You know, we've been working with abstinence education. You know, we work as uh, football coaches working with the youth, you know, talking with them, teaching them, you know, trying to train them in the way that they should go. You know, and far too often we've seen people steer children in the, you know, steer them in the wrong way. You know, and sometimes they mean well when they do it, and sometimes it, it's because they're so self-serving that they don't really see that instead of encouraging that child, they're doing a lot of damage to that child. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know, Greg, you've witnessed it, you've seen it, and, uh, oh, yeah. you know, what, how does it make you feel? Well, you know what, I, you know what, Brian. I really believe a lot of times in this situation, a lot of times I don't think they know that they're damaging the kid. I think that that is the best way that they can talk to them. And believe it or not, that's probably how their parents talk to them. So, you know, if you come out of a household like that and you're not trying to better yourself or find out why I'm screaming and yelling and saying things that I shouldn't say to a child. Something is wrong. You, you have to want at some point to better yourself. What I what I would do in a situation like what you saw today, well, you know, you you witnessed it. I I, I would say that you need to confront these guys or whoever it was, and, and and let them know their mistakes. I wouldn't so much focus on the mistakes that they've made or the things that they said. I will focus more on what we should say and what we should do. And that way you don't have a whole bunch of confusion with you, you, you. I would constantly use their name. I would never use you, and I would never point, but I would just always be um, nice and operating in love at all times and just letting them know there's a better way to do this without saying there's a better way to do it. They'll get the point. Yes, yes, I agree. I agree. You know, and um, our guest tonight, I believe, is an expert on these issues as well. Right. And, uh I'm going to introduce him at this time because hold on, hold on, I'm ready on, to Brian. talk. Yeah, Brian, hold on before you introduce him. Okay. Our guest tonight is special. This is a special night. And and the reason I say that, Brian, I, I, we have his book. You need mm-hmm. to get his book. We're going to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Brian, he's not supposed to be here. You saw that. Yeah. It was meant for him not to be here. And because he was given a second chance, He's taken up that second chance. A lot of us don't take the second chance the way they don't take it as serious as our guest is taking it. 
he was given a second chance at life. Mm. Brian, we see car wrecks all the time. A little girl just got killed here in town, a little eight-year-old, remember? Yes. In your neighborhood, matter of fact. Yes, yes, he was my neighbor. Yeah, in a car accident, or, or and, and she's not here. Our guest was in a car accident, and he walked away. How many people are in bad car wrecks, left for dead, and walk away? Not many. And he's here. He's devoted himself to helping others. Brian, I've seen some people that get in wrecks, and they come out of it, and they are probably worse before they got in an accident. They didn't see the one. They didn't see. They don't understand that life is so valuable. You can lose it at any time. You can stop breathing at any time. Yeah. And, Brian, I believe our Father is pleased with our guests. He's pleased at what he's doing with his time. He's pleased at how he's going out and helping others. He's pleased that he gave him a second chance. And that's why tonight is so powerful and moving. You're going to hear this brother talk. He's no joke. He's got his seatbelt on tonight, too, Brian. So so we're going to have fun. Go ahead. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know if I should say anything because I think it's just bring him on. But tonight's guest is a motivational speaker and best-selling author, Marcus Gerard. And as a youth, Marcus grew up in a high-risk, hardcore inner-city environment in Brooklyn, New York. Marcus lost many of his friends to drugs, gangs, guns, and violence. And as a youngster, Marcus was determined that one day he would find a way to help people overcome the negative circumstances and difficulty factors that are part of, are a natural part of everyone's lives. Mr. Marcus Gerard, are you there? I'm here, my brother. How are you tonight? And my other dear brother, how are you tonight? <laughs> We're five, man. We're, We're both blessed. Yes, sir. We are so glad that you agreed to come on the show and uh, help all of us. We're we're all going to be helped. You know, iron sharpens iron. We're going to have fun tonight, and we are just, I mean, we're really, really excited about you coming on. Absolutely. Well, I'm very honored to be here, and I thank uh, Almighty God for blessing me uh, to be with everyone tonight. I hope your listeners are fine. I know I'm fine, and just thanking him for a blessing of safe travel wherever I go. And I hopefully will say something meaningful to the conversation that you're having tonight, my brother. Oh, yeah, I'm sure you will. (laughs) I'm sure you will. I want to lead off tonight and ask this question. Now, I I know you were listening to us earlier as we were discussing the, uh, the incident that occurred today, you know, how would you deal with a person who had been negative, and I mean just openly rude and negative to a child that they're supposed to be promoting and encouraging? Let's say, uh, for instance, let's say if it's a, uh, a football coach and he's dealing with youth and he starts to demean one of the children because maybe they didn't do something the right way. You know, what's the best way to go to that person or whoever it may be, a coach or a teacher or whoever, and sort of tell them without being, you know, without being like reprimanding them, but just let them know that there's a better way to do that. Well, a lot of us who uh, work with young people don't really do it for the love of young people. We do it because it's a paycheck. And so our motivation 
uh, working for uh, with young people is not the same as somebody that feels this passion inside them, this commitment to do the work. You know, all I meet as I get out here in Georgia and throughout America working with young people is passionless people, passionless teachers, passionless uh, coaches, people who don't have no fire burning within them. So in turn, they don't put a fire in somebody else. I had a wise man tell me one day, brothers, that a dead battery can't charge another dead battery. You know, you got to have some sparks inside of you if you're going to motivate and uplift and inspire a young person to get something under them. And so this is where the negativity comes from uh, when we when we see what you saw today, brother. We, we meet teachers who tell young people, I got mine, you got to get yours. You know, teachers are not teaching like they used to. They're not counselors. They're not counseling like they used to because it's about that money. It's about that paycheck. And many of them feel they should be getting paid a whole lot more to deal with these young people anyway. So they give half the effort and expect a full paycheck at the end of the month. Wow. i tell you what, Marcus, you've dealt with so many things in your life and you, you know, in your book, you're talking about the, the environment that you grew up in. What kept you from joining these guys? What kept you from doing the same things in the environment that you were in? What kept you from doing that? So that question, and it's one I have never been asked before, um, and I'm grateful to have that question. I think the thing that helped me the most was that I had both my parents. Um, my father, entire life growing up in Brooklyn, New York. Now, of course, you know, my father is deceased and my mother is still alive. Uh, she lives in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, but it was having both of them in my life and learning very early that people are in your life to be an example of how to do things and how not to do things. See, I was fortunate in that I was the fourth son of my father and my mother, so I had three brothers to go out and screw up before I ever got on the scene. So I just kind of studied their bad example of, of, of things, and I, I was guided thereby. You know, a lot of times, you know, you hear young people talk about how they they can't stand their father. My father ain't no good. He ain't this. He ain't that. And I always ask him, I always ask the young people when they say that, will you grow up to be any better than your father? Because a lot of us are into condemnation, but we don't study nothing. And so if you don't learn the lessons of history, then you are doomed to repeat them. And so today's young man who condemns his father, you know, tomorrow he'll, he'll be con- being condemned by his son or his daughter for what he neglected to do. And so I say all of that to say that my father and mother set before us an example of a family. It wasn't the best family. It was a dysfunctional family, but it was a family. And I learned that the word dysfunction actually means pain. So it was a family that functioned in pain, which is the reality that many of us as black folks grow up with 
in America. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> you know, I never thought about the word like that, you know, because you're, you're absolutely right. There are a lot of people that grow up, and, you know, in the terms of of youth, you know, when that particular teacher or, you know, person that's supposed to be over that child in a supportive role begins to, you know, bring them down, you know, uh, verbally, you know, verbally demean them. You know, sometimes you see them when they'll, you know, especially on football fields, you'll see them where they smack a kid upside the head. You know, the coach is yelling at them. They'll grab a face mask or something like that. You know, what they don't realize is that, you know, they never know what these kids may be going through at home. Right. You know, that particular sport or that particular outlet that that kid has where he's dealing with a person that's over them, you know, maybe the only outlet they have to get away from the things that they may, may be going through at home, you know. And they have to be mindful of that because you never know what a kid has gone through or is going through when you talk to them. You know, right. you have to all. I, I believe you have to always take into account the feelings of a of a kid. You know, when I say that, I mean a child. This is still, you know, when you're dealing with youth, you're dealing with youth. An adult, you know, they should be able to at least be able to, you know, take care of themselves. You know, for the most part. Well, again, that pain is something we carry around. Like that woman in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. We we like that old lady who just got a a bushel bag, a, a a basket of pain and and hard times and suffering, and you you know you you almost don't even want to ask some of us how you doing, you all right? Because we'll immediately go into our bushel basket of pain. You know, on my show the last couple of weeks, we've been dealing with black pain, a book by Sister Terry M. Williams, and uh, it's brother, it's just a magnificent book that really opens your eyes to the fact that. There's so many of us folk functioning out of pain and depression in 2008, especially in the black community. So when you see a coach, you know, slap a kid upside his head, you know, that may be how he's showing that kid love. And these young people got it so twisted today, uh, especially our young brothers. You know, I had one of them, you know, I reached to, to put my arm on his shoulder just to give him, you know, a little pound and, you know, make him feel good. He said, man, don't touch me. I don't faggot. I ain't gay. That's the first thing that these young people holler because they don't know father love. They don't know daddy love. They don't know the love of a man that's not gay. You know, they love. They know the love of um, some, some strange, strange love. But, you know, the, the way that we as men are failing our young people is, is one of the ways is that we are not showing them what father love look like what daddy love look like. They know mama love, but they don't know that daddy got the same capacity, you know, in him. When he loved that child, he can show the child a different expression of love. So, you know, that's that's what I'd say to that, my brother. Mm-hmm. Powerful, powerful. I told you, Brian, you got <laughs> I hope you got it on. But, brother, I want to talk to you um in the same um, conversation that we, you were just having about suffering, I want to talk about suffering because you said that you're talking about it on your show. Uh, that's something that a lot of us are going through. Brian said it, and you just never know what a person is going through. But when when a person is suffering, 
I want to say this first before I ask a question. When a person is suffering, they're very careful who they go to for help. They won't right. just go to anybody. That's so right. Right. So when you were growing up and now, even now, do you have your friends uh, come to you and say, well, brother, I'm going through this, I'm hurting, I'm going through that, I, I, I need you to help me? As I've gotten older, I've found that people, you know, the way I carry myself, I carry myself in the mold, you know, I've never been my age. I mean, I was 13 dealing with 19, 20-year-olds. You know, I was 20 dealing with 30-year-olds and, and so forth and so on. So even though I'm young myself, I've always had the disposition of an older person. That I don't know why I do that, but I guess they say, you know, some people are born like that. You know, you meet children who have the spirit of an older person. It's like you don't have the spirit of a little two, three-year-old, you know. So um, I found that men especially, when they find that you are a brother that they can talk to, man, they will, they will pour some stuff on you that you probably ain't even ready for, you know, because men want to talk. You know, that, that's a, one of the great myths that's out there about black men, that, that we don't talk. We, you know, we talk, we just don't talk to a woman a lot of times because, you know, they're not, you know, sensitive to what a black man be going through, you know. So we find each other. We talk to each other. That's why the bars are so popular. That's why men hang out with men because only another black man can understand what a black man is going through, what he's been through, where his path has had to cross, you know. Only a black man who has been in America understand what pain and suffering and deprivation is and, and, and understand that, man, you ain't got no friend other than God and another black man. So when you find that, when you find a brother who understands your pain, then you seek that kind of brother out and you'll do whatever you got to do to just talk to that brother because you know that that's your brother and he ain't going to put your business out there on the front street and tell all the people, man, you know what so-and-so going through? He's your brother to the very end. And even the scripture says how good and pleasant it is when brothers can dwell together in unity. That's right. Wow, boy. <laughs> and you know something? What is that? Brothers, men, they're always watching. They pay attention. In a conversation, if it's just men, they're paying close attention to how you talk, what you say, right. and they're right. watching to see if you're consistent. Right. That's right. If, not, if you're not consistent, they will not open up to you. That's right. When that brother is hurting He's going through something with his wife or he's going through something with someone else. He's very particular about the person in that group that he's going to pick out and go to. That's right. He's not going to go that's to the one that, that's cheating on his wife all the time. He's not going to that one. Right. He, he's, he, he's going to that one that's quiet, that when he talks, it makes sense. Right. And he can trust him. That's the one that he's going to go to. That's all they be looking for, you know. That's all I, I look for. I know I go through it, too. You know, I always, I, I do exactly what you said, brother. You know, we, we listen to each other as brothers, you know, and the one that we ultimately choose is exactly like you said, is the one that's mature, the brother that, that's got a family generally who, who doesn't seem like he is having too many problems. You know he's going through something, but, you, you know, he, he, he's in a family. He's a 
family man, you know, and, and that's the way we roll. We, we, if you're trying to keep a marriage together, if you and your wife is going through something, you don't necessarily want to talk to a brother that's single. You, talk, you want to talk to a man that's married, who done been there, who know what you're probably going through, and that man can give you some guidance. You know, we miss brotherhood in the black community among men. Boy, if there's one thing that we're missing, we're missing brotherhood. The men got to be brothers. We must first be brothers to each other. That's why I don't come to nobody with the title and I'm this and I'm that, and I don't roll with no labels on me because I'm so sick of labels. I'm so sick of division. I'm so sick of people finding a reason to, to say that you can't be my brother I'm your brother because, doggone it, I was born and I'm a black man. And if I, that don't make us brothers after 400 years of being in America, then I don't know what else will make us brothers. I don't need no, no Omega. I don't need no title. I don't need none of that. I, I love my brothers no matter what fraternity they're in, no matter my sisters, no matter what sorority they're in. I don't make that mess, no, no, uh, no path between me and my brothers and sisters. We are black people, and we better get together because you can see what's going down in America. And if we don't learn to unite, then we'll perish as fools. Mm. Mm. Wow. Great segue. You're talking about what's going on in America. And, you know, we have this, this you know, little small thing going on called the presidential election. And, you know, <laughs> the one thing that I find intriguing is that, you know, in, in this election, you know, you have the two sides, and they've been going at it. And, you know, on one side, you have the first African-American from a major party to be to run for president, you know, that to be elected, well, to be elected as the representative for that party. And on the other side, you have the first, you know, potential female president, uh, vice president. And, you know, so you have these two different sides, and they've been going back and forth. And you had a situation where one side, because they haven't had anything that's been working and they're behind, that they start to personally attack. You know, or I'm just gonna say it. You know, we on this show we're real. You know, you got John McCain and his camp trying to attack Barack Obama personally versus dealing with the issues. You know, and it kind of blew to a head this past week. You know, because each time they, they try to attack him personally, and, you know, now he's got so many people riled up that he's having to go back and say, no, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, but I said all this to say, you know, do you think he was trying to antagonize him so that he would lash out? Because typically they believe, you know, that black men are very aggressive. And so they believe that they can entice the aggression out of you at some point. So do you believe well, that, that that was their method? You know, we thank God that he's maturing us as men, you know. Um, I think that no matter what uh, McCain uh, does, uh, that there is a, a, a force that is operating on Barack that tempers his response he is uh, one of the first black men that we've produced that can hang with them <laughs> they they can't seem to defeat him 
you know, as easily as they have uh, manipulated and, and tricked us in the past. And so I just thank God for his guidance of the brother. I don't give the credit over to his advisors. Uh, I'm sure they deserve some credit, but I give the all credit to God for guiding Barack uh, in such a way that he has not allowed this to throw him off of his game because he's just as cool as a cucumber, you know. And I think that that is something that our young brothers need to see. They need to understand that you don't got to respond with a gun or a knife or want to fight or want to attack somebody just because they don't agree with you. That is what black men need to see. We need to see an alternative strategy, an alternative approach to approach to to uh, what happens. What do you do? How do you respond properly when you're being attacked by somebody? You know, that's what our young men need to see. They need to, you know, all of us need to focus our young people on strategies to reduce violent tendencies in our young people. Because it ain't that it's white folks now or younger white folks in our communities that's provoking each other. You don't even got to really do too much to provoke a young black man. You can look at him. Well, nigga, what you looking at? I'll kill you. You know, this is the kind of stuff that we're doing because we're so angry. You know, so when I see my brother Barack, I'm like, wow, look at what God is doing. He's given a powerful example to our younger brothers, to grown men, of how to conduct yourself. Because I haven't seen anything that the brother has done that's unpresidential. You know, he, he, of course, speaks well, but I haven't met too many black folks who couldn't speak well. He looks well. He looks like a a very uh, pleasing-to-the-eye kind of black man, you know, he uh, is able to relate very well. And see, that's the kind of way we all got to be. We got to be able to, to present ourselves favorably, not just to black folks, but to the entire human family. You know, in the Bible, there was a man named Joseph who came to power in a time of great famine. And this Joseph figure, they say he had a coat of many colors. Wow. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. You know, wow. I, I'm so, I'm just blown away because you said a mouthful. You know, when you, when you talk about how cool and calm, you know, Barack Obama has been, you know, you're absolutely right because normally people would have, you know, I've I've heard people say, Man, if I was him, I would have got in John McCain grill. I wouldn't have let him talk down to me like that. I wouldn't have called, let him call me that one, you know, you know, and they're referring to the remark that he made during the second debate. You know, so a lot of people were upset. Some people were actually wanting Barack Obama to get, you know, how, how, how can I say, they wanted him to be more aggressive against John McCain because John <laughs> McCain had been being very aggressive against him, you know, aggressive but, towards John, him. But, John McCain is not worthy of being aggressive against. You don't waste your time with that which is old and is passing away. 
you always show respect to your elders. Mm. That's true. Yeah. And you know what? I, I, I want to say this, that now I, I pay attention when I go places. I don't say much, but I pay attention to children. And you can hear children, little black kids, mixed kids, um, kids not from this country. Their parents may not be, but they've been, you know, they were born here. You can hear them saying things like they know who Barack is. They know who the president is. They know what that position is now. Before it wasn't even it wasn't even a thought to them. Right. You can ask little black kids, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" They'll tell you doctors or lawyers or something else. Now, when you ask them that, they're saying, "I want to be president," and they mean it. The reason they're able to say that now is because they see Barack on television. He looks presidential. They see it. So now that's opening up a whole new world to them because they're saying it's possible. It's possible. Well, the other factor that I wanted to bring up with respect to Mr. McCain you know, look at the name, McCain, Cain. Here's a man that needs a cane to get around. And then he selected a woman by the name of Pale N. So his attempt is to keep the Pale in. <laughs> I never thought of it like that. <laughs> you know, but the the other thing that's intriguing about, you know, what he's done is that he made an attempt to sway voters by selecting a woman. Do you think that was more self-serving of him trying to, you know, muscle his way into winning the election by, you know, trying to provoke you know, women, you know, especially because of, you know, the issue with Hillary Clinton. You know, here it is. He's trying to get those votes by saying, I'm going to choose a woman. Now, I'll say this. Do you think that he would have done a better job and would have actually done better had he picked someone, let's say, of a stature of Condoleezza Rice? Well, there's so many politics, brethren, and I don't really like politics at all. Um, but I do know that this is the, the day and time where the the jig is up, <laughs> as they used to say. <laughs> I mean, the people's eyes are wide open, and the the the, the people that have ruled, they won't be able to put that small-time stuff over on the people anymore. They say you can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can never fool all of the people all of the time. So everybody's eyes are wide open. God has made it like this. He don't want us to sleep in an hour where all of us should be wide awake on our post. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Marcus, I want to ask you, I want to go back to your, I'll go back to your book I said earlier. I mentioned about the accident that day 
That accident. That accident. What was that like for you? Was that something that you, when you came out of it, what were your thoughts? Uh, were you thinking I, I, I could have been gone, or, or, or that was it? That could have been it. That could have been it for me. What were your well, thoughts? I just want to publicly thank my God and Savior for blessing me to come through that a horrible accident. Um, when uh, the the guy uh, who happened to be an American soldier uh, who hit me, um, he was in the other lane and it was raining outside approximately four. PM and I'm going to admit something to the world on your show that I have not shared with anyone except a small select group of people. Before the accident happened, as God is my witness, a voice came into my head. I won't say it was God because you never know who <laughs> these voices are. <laughs> but the voice spoke to me, and it said, quote, you are about to be in an accident. And I, it was the strangest thing, because I almost looked around in the car to see who in the heck is that talking to me. And then I drove on. You know, I forgot. I tried to forget it. And then the voice spoke again and said, you are about to be in an accident. And I kept driving, and then out the corner of my left eye, I saw a vehicle that was across a grassy median. And it was raining outside uh, pretty good, and the car began to hydroplane. And the car came all the way from his lane, uh, all the way over into my lane, and it hit the car in front of me with terrific force. Uh, it killed that driver instantly, and then the car, uh, the 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 car started coming backwards as I was coming forwards, and it ended up with the car wheels of this big this big monster truck looking thing. The car wheels ended up in my windshield. Wow! It hit the car, and I thank God that I was smart enough to put a seatbelt on. Uh, when I got in the vehicle, but I knew that, you know, I wasn't dead. And I knew that the car, when I saw the tie in the windshield, because, you know, you, you blank out for just a second. I saw the car uh, wheels in the windshield. I smelled smoke. I, I just thought, I said, oh, my God, I'm, I ain't going to, if I didn't get killed in this, I'm not going to be killed in this car blowing up. So I wiggled my way out of the front seat. And I came through the back window of my little vehicle, and I couldn't stand up. Uh, so I just, I, you know, I sort of slithered out the, the car, and everybody was, was, you know, who had saw the accident was trying to make sure I was okay. And then, they, you know, when they saw that I wasn't dead and I, I had some sense about me, they went to the dude that, you know, they didn't know at the time that he was dead but they were trying to revive him, and a couple of people were standing over there with me. And I couldn't breathe because somebody who was over me and my body as it was raining 
they were so drunk and they were trying to cover me from the rain, but I couldn't breathe in the rain and this drunken person over me. And it turns out that this dude that's over my body is the doggone person who hit me. He's still trying to be a soldier. And I admired him for that. You know, even though he, he, you know, hit me, you know, he was trying to be a soldier and protect me from further injury from the rain. And so by God's grace, I, I knew I was okay in the sense that, you know, I, I wasn't hurt in terms of my legs, my body. I was in shock. And the only reminder that God gave me that I have been in an accident was there's a little scar on my left hand. And every now and then I look down at it, and I thank God every time I see it for bringing me through that accident. Um, the dude that was hit was a, uh, a professor at Auburn University. And so uh, the, 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 the soldier who was a member of the Fort Benning branch in Columbus, Georgia, he, of course, was arrested and they tried him, and he ended up with about six years. Um, but as for me, the the only thoughts I could think of was I just could not thank, I could not stop thanking God for His mercy to my to me and in my life and and sparing me that I may be a service to uh, the many thousands and millions that I have to serve before I leave this planet. Yes, and you know, Marcus, that somebody else has got. A scar in each hand, just like you got that scar in one. He's got that scar okay. in both hands. All right. And <laughs> that protection, when you're protected, and when he's got his hands on you, I don't care what's going on around you. All right. Nothing can harm you. No, it doesn't that's matter. That's beautiful. It, yeah, it, it doesn't matter who's coming at you. And, and and for those that are listening, you don't have to be in a car wreck. When you're protected, a lot of times you don't even know when the enemy is after you because it's none of your business. You're already protected. And even though this man did what he did, it says that even those that try to harm you will turn around and he'll make them bless you. Mm-hmm. See? And, and, and what I wanted to ask you, another thing, too, is, did you forgive him instantly, or did it take you a while? No, it, 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 believe it or not, I, I was a little upset that he was so drunk trying to try to shield me from the rain, but I held no grudges at all. In fact, I didn't even want to go and testify against him, and ultimately I didn't have to. But, you know, there's got to be something wrong in that man's life. For him to be that drunk at four o'clock in the afternoon, something's got to be pretty pretty messed up for that man to be taught that early in the day, you know. And and so I mean, it's punishment enough that you got to sit now in a prison for six years of your life, and you you know may not have your family or your children when you get back out of the prison. And then there's a man that you will always have on your conscience that you killed due to your negligence. And you know what, Marcus? So, yes, it, it's so sad that 
he probably didn't even have anybody that he can go talk to. And that happens a lot. That happens with our youth. When they're going through something, when the little girl has been molested and, and the little boy has been raped and going through the same thing, they don't have anybody that they feel that they can talk to, so they try to deal with it the best that they can but their children, and it's almost impossible for them to process what has happened to them. And they go into this shell. And Brian and I, we talk about this all the time. Mm-hmm. You just never know what a person is going through when you come in contact with them. We're so That's right. we're so quick we're so quick to judge them. And we shouldn't do that. Because it's a reason when a child is acting strange. It's a reason. But this is the thing. How many people even care enough to find out? What's going that's on in right. child's life? That's that's the problem right there. Who has the time to care about somebody other than yourself? Especially with the way they messed up this economy. You know, people really. If you if you thought people's nose was at the grind or, or at the mill, you know, before, I mean, now you're gonna have, you're gonna work extra, double hard, triple hard. You know, fathers are not home, mothers not home, children raising themselves, they not at home. This is a real enemy we face today. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. uh, Brian Brian is always helping and talking to kids and children. Uh, And and Brian will tell you himself, he's he's the world's largest kid. (laughs) And, you know, when when you're out there, talking with these kids, it's not easy to connect with them. No, it's We're not. asked all the time, how in the world are you able to go into jail and prisons or detention centers and connect with these kids and make a difference? Because you have to earn their trust. You can't just go in there, and you know this too, Marcus, you just can't walk in there thinking these kids are going to respect you right off the bat. They don't know anything <laughs> about you. They sure don't. They don't and know. They go-, go ahead, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead, but I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, they don't know you. They don't respect you. You don't know the hell that they've had in their life. Mm-hmm. So why should they open up to you? Now they're in a system where they're just a number. Right. For, some, for, for, for whatever system they're in to get those dollars, those government dollars every month. So they're not going right. to open up to you. So when we go in there, what we do is we let the kids be dim. We don't go in one or two times. We stay at it. We stay at it. We know at some point that kid is going to figure out, okay, these guys don't have to come out here and see us. They're not getting paid to do this. Right. But we did it so much that when we didn't go, we got phone calls. Or when we we would see the kids looking out the window, they knew what time we were coming. And they wanted us, you guys need to to come more than one night out of the week. Right. If you come on a Sunday. And all we do is open up to them and let them talk, and we talk back to them, and we let them talk to us and tell us what they think. All they want is a voice. That's what they want, brother. They want, uh, really, they want a father. That father hunger is so real and deep among the young men. They don't even understand. They got a need for a father that they can't even articulate. And and that's what's so hurting inside of them is that they've never been loved by a father. You know, a father's a pretty special dude. 
You know, Jesus referred to God. He was the only servant of God who ever referred to him in a close, personal word like father, you know. And I'm, 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 from what I see with our young men, they want us to do as the church says, look beyond my faults and see my needs. And anybody that's going to work with these young men, you have to have a heart like the Savior. You can't, you can't go in there with these young people and think for a minute that they automatically going to like you. This is a generation that did not grow up like our generation. When I was growing up, we were taught that you had to respect all adults, regardless to whether they respected you or not. Not this generation. This generation believes I will respect you only if I think you respect me. And if I think you don't respect me, well, I'm going to show you something, you little so-and-so. You don't come up in here disrespecting <laughs> me or my set or my clique. We just see a meat click up in here, That's you right. know. That's and right. they, 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 you know, I got all of them. And, and it's getting younger and younger and younger. It don't matter what, what great school you go to. It could be elementary school. They into the clique. They into the gang. They into the colors. But what they don't have is they don't have the knowledge See, that's the premium. That's the thing that I can offer to a young man that he can't get nowhere else around him. I can give him specific knowledge that will raise him from that condition that he's in and put him on a, a, a better path than he's on. The thing that we as men have to offer to these young brothers is guidance. That's what they need. And Absolutely. I thank God that Absolutely. he gave me something to give these young boys. You know, the, the, I want to go into a little bit about your book. And by the way, the book is called The Wise Men and Women Have Sent Me to Tell You. You know, there's one of the things that I saw, uh, one of the chapters that I saw in the book that caught my attention right away. And it was chapter, what is it, 3G. It says, who are you becoming sexually? All right. You know, and that's something that I deal with um, on a quite a regular basis because I do a lot of abstinence education and HIV prevention, um, with, and primarily among youth. And, you know, I talk to a group of males, and, you know, you get all kind of questions from young males once they know they can talk to you in confidence. Right. You know, and I had a kid telling me about, well, you know, I do this, and I only got one lady, and, you know, she's the only one I be with, and, I'm the only one right, she's so I, with. That's you right. Know, and, you know, and I asked him one day, I say, are you sure? That's he's right, like, what do you right. mean? And I was like, are you sure that you're the only one she's with and she's the only one you're with? Oh, well, I man. know my lady wouldn't cheat on me. Right. I said, do you know how many times that's been said? You know, but the, the most intriguing thing about the conversations that I've had with them is that these kids are get are having sex younger and younger? Yeah, you know, they and hunching, they do everything. No, no, they ain't just hunching. Yeah, I, I know, mean, but they're <laughs> doing it all. You know, and it's like I'm I sit there and almost utter amazement, even though I know it happens. It's like wow, these kids talk about it like it's no big deal. 
oh, yeah, you know, I bust up such and such. Or, oh, yeah, you know, I, I just, oh, I had her, me and my boy, you know, we both did her. And, I mean, I'm looking at him like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, it ain't no thing, you know what I'm saying? She was with it. You know, and I'm and I'm just, like, in utter amazement that these kids, for one, they have conversations like that. You know, right. they don't think anything's wrong with it. You know, ain't no big deal. You know, it's just getting you some. You know, and then on the same tip, when when you try to tell them it's wrong, you know, immediately they go to, well, you know, such and such did it, and he, he, he said nothing was wrong with it, or my daddy did it, so why I can't do it, you know? They go to those people that they know have done the wrong, and those people haven't told them anything that, you know, as far as, like, don't do this. You know, it, it, it reminds me of when I was—I just happened to be flipping through the channels, and Luke, Luke, remember, everybody knows Luke Skywalker from Luke Records, yeah. Two yeah. Live Proof. He had, uh, he has a reality show out, and his son, he, his reality show was about him raising his son but also about him uh, being, like, in the world of porn and the things that he does now, you know, with his record company and so forth. And so it was a statement his son made. He said, well, you know, how are you going to get mad at me? Because his son had some porn magazines. And he said, how are you going to get mad at me? You do it all the time. Right. You know, that's what your job is. You're the porn king now. That's right. And, you know, and Luke had to really sit back and take account to what his son was saying. And he says, yeah, but I get paid to do that. He said, well, you can't get mad at me because you do it. Why can't I do it? And that's the reality that we're facing with these kids, is that they see us doing it so much, you know, not us in particular, but I'm just saying, you know, they see adults doing this without any ramifications, and they think, okay, well, I'm supposed to do this. Well, you hit it right on the head, brother. You know, we're just not going to escape the fact that this generation does not believe in do as I say and not as I do. This generation believes in I will do exactly what I see you do. And that is the thing that many of us as adults and parents are just not prepared for, the reality of this little person that we brought into the world is a perfect replica of who we are. You know, I often tell parents in, in, in sessions that I have with them, if you really want to know how you look in the eyes of God, look at how you feel toward your children. When they go against your perfect instruction. You told them exactly what was going to happen if they did X, Y, and Z. And then they still go out and do exactly what they want to do because they're so strongly willed to do what they want to do. Then the rage and anger that you feel as a parent towards your child, well, that's exactly how the creator feels towards you. He told you what to do. You did what you wanted to do. So now he makes you to see how you are relating to him through your own children. And the children today are 1,000% rebellion. They do exactly what they want to do, when they want to do it, and they will tell you to your face when you tell them, why did you do that? Because you told me not to do it. That's why I did it. So 
we as parents are getting a whipping from God through the children. We don't see it like that, but these children, they are the grapes of wrath on us as adults, as parents, and this society. This whole society don't like the young people, and so the young people feeling this not just when they got on the planet, but they felt their rejection in the wombs of their mother. And so these children are, are programmed to reject us. And this is the first time in the annals of history perhaps it's been this deep where the children are not worried about coming into your world as an adult. They, they now have created their own thing. They, you, we, we tell them, put your pants up. Don't let your pants sag. Then children try to sag their pants as low as they can because they really are saying to us as adults, I want you to kiss my so-and-so. I don't care about your instruction. I don't care about what you tell me is the right way to go. And here's something that many of us don't consider. If we are offering them this uh, education and we're saying how wonderful it is and you need to get your education, you need to get your education, and then the children, suppose they look at us and ask us, well, how is it helping you? You still poor? You still struggling? You ain't got nothing? You condemning the rappers that I like listening to, but the ones I got listened to, they got money. They can make it rain. What can you do, Dad? What can you do, Mom? You can't make it rain nothing but bills. See, so we got to really look at, well, what are we offering them that's better than the reality that they see? My teacher taught me you can't condemn a child or a person unless you can show them a better way. And I don't know from my experiences with young people that offering them this kind of education that's in these schools is the better way for them. Wow. We have about five minutes left, Marcus, and I want you to touch on real quick, and uh, we're going to get your information as far as speaking engagements and where you're speaking next and that type of thing, but... Like I said, we have five minutes. I want you to tell us uh, how faith plays into helping children. Oh, faith is everything. You know, I, I know y'all hear how passionate I am <laughs> on the phone, but that's the way I am with these young people because a dead battery can't charge a dead battery. See, faith gives you spirit. The Bible says not by power, nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. See, that's what we are missing. Remember how I started off talking about how, how uh, passionless the teachers, the coaches, the, the people that's in front of these young people are. That's why they don't respond. They don't respond because they don't feel no spirit. We as black people, particularly us, we're spiritual beings first, and unless you can reach us at the core of us, which is the spirit of us, then you ain't going to be able to be successful with us. And so I bring all my faith into this room with these young men and these young women. I put on, as they say, the whole armor of God, because you're going to need the whole armor of God to deal with this young man who's sitting there, and he's twisting his hair, and he's looking at you talking about put some money in my pocket. <laughs> That's right. He's going to tell you about plies. 
homie. He going to tell you about T.I., homie. He going to tell you about Snoop Doggy Dog and or, you know, I mean, this is what they into today. So you got to be able to speak the language of the young people, and the language of the young people is hip-hop. It's R&B. And if you don't speak their language, then they, they dismiss you. Like, like we dismissed them back in the day, they dismiss us. Oh, man, get on out of here with that stuff. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely Today, right. If you can't talk, if you can't relate to them, and they and they even sense a little bit of hesitation in your in your ooh, conversation, oh, you done. You done. Oh, you done. You are done. And it's you almost so, impossible. And it's almost impossible to get it back. Well, it's like a. Uh, uh, you ever seen a dog whistle? You know, young people they call each other dog. What's up, dog? Mm-hmm. You know. A dog whistle is a whistle that blows at such a high uh, um, frequency, yeah. uh, frequency that a human being can't even hear it. But all the dogs hear it when you blow it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what it's like communicating with young men today. When you communicate in the way that they will understand you, then the dogs, the young men, will respond. Now, they're not dogs at all. In fact, they're made in the image and likeness of not a dog. But God, mm-hmm. and when we connect them back to their father, then they will be on the right road. That's what they need. They need to be taught. They need to be taught wisdom, knowledge, understanding. That's why I said the wise men and women have sent me to tell you, and I'm honored to be on your show to express that tonight. Well, we are honored to have you, and I can tell you, boy, this has been a great show. I mean, you've given us so many great things to, you know, remember. And for the listeners, please, please, you got to go back and listen to this show again because I think you won't remember all the points that we hit on, but we hit on some great points. I want to give this opportunity to you right now to, uh, you know, talk about your book and also talk about some of the places that you'll be as well as your contact information. So if someone wanted to get with you about doing uh, presentations or seminars or so forth. And we got about well, a minute and a half left. Well, let me tell everyone that uh, I invite you to go onto the website. Uh, it's www.marcusgerard.com. That's www.marcusgirard. That's M-A-R-C-U-S-G-I-R-A-R-D. Uh, MarcusGerard.com. That's the website. You can order the book directly from me. Uh, we have all of the, the safeguards in place for you to order it without any problem. You can we do PayPal. I don't see none of your personal information. All I know is that you've ordered the book, and then I send it out immediately to you. Or you can choose to go to the Amazon.com, and Amazon.com has put my book there, and it's all you got to do is type in Marcus Gerard or or the wise men, I have a little combination you come up with, and it's there. I love to speak to you directly. If you want to talk with me about uh, bringing me in to come and talk to your youth or young people or men or women or both or churches or whatever, you know, I'm available, and I look forward to being of service to you. Uh, I don't come with an entourage of people with me. It's just me, your brother, Brother Marcus, and, you know, what you see is what you get. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not a man that's deceptive and trying to trick people because this ain't the hour to be playing with people at all. Uh, my number to reach me directly is 404-542-3808. That's 404-542-3808. That's 
That's 404-542-3808. Thank you, brother, so much for allowing me the privilege of being on your show. Thank you. Thank you. And with that being said, you've been listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour. Please join us on Wednesday evening, 9 o'clock. Good evening and God bless.